When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. church on Sunday morning Grandma's hand played a tambourine so well Grandma's hand used to issue out a warning she'd say Billy don't you run so fast might fall on a piece of glass might be snakes there in that grass Grandma's hand Welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. It is a Smooth Soul Monday edition of Ball Don't Lie. Uh, This is my man Patrick Plays Jams, intended to soothe the tortured soul of sports fans who might have had a tough weekend. That was certainly the case for a Denver Nuggets fan who uh, lost game two. Uh, Denver Nuggets at home. First home playoff loss of uh, the playoffs for the Denver Nuggets. And we'll get to breaking that down. Miami with a 111-108 win uh, in game two. Uh, Shout out to my man Patrick, always doing... uh, uh, doing us a great service to DJ a smooth soul Monday and all the musically themed days of the week. Uh, you can hit us up on the Specs text line 512-337-3776. You also can hit us up via Twitter. Hardball Harge is at Hardball Harge in the Twitterverse. Patrick Davis said it's Patrick Davis in the Twitterverse. And I'm at Rod Babers in the Twitterverse. Uh, we'll get to Raj around the day coming up next segment. I went and did uh, some more deep dives about um, the uh, the coaching additions to the special assistant uh, to the uh, head coach uh, designation for Paul Christ uh, and for Joe D. Camillus. And we'll talk a little bit more about that coming up in Raj Rand of the day. A specific concept that I went uh, rabbit holing uh, with uh, this weekend. So we'll talk about that, about my deep dive. All of that. So we'll get into some Texas football conversation in Raj Rand of the day. In the meantime, let's talk NBA Finals, gentlemen. 111-108 win for the Miami Heat in game. Two, uh, both of you guys, I believe, predicted a gentleman's sweep. I yes, believe sir. both of you predicted this thing will be over in five games. After watching the Miami Heat win game two, and it was a game that Denver had a chance, I mean, to win. They were up double digits in this contest at one point. Uh, but some slight adjustments by Eric Spolstra. He did start Kevin Love. Like I said, that is a slight adjustment. But Kevin Love was able to at least put a body, a bigger body on Aaron Gordon. That allowed Jimmy Butler to switch over his defensive uh, responsibilities to Jamal Murray. And they were able to neutralize Jamal Murray. And that helped out tremendously uh, because they wanted to choke the the passing lanes um, for the the Nuggets and force Jokic to be predominantly a scorer rather than a scorer and a distributor. Now he did get his. He did score 41 points. Uh, but it was an interesting strategy that did end up getting a win for the Miami Heat. Harge, I'll throw it to you first. Uh, you're still going with the gentleman sweep after watching the Miami Heat steal game two in Denver. Yep. I, I'm still rolling with the gentleman sweep, although I am impressed with the way that um, Miami was able to change the way they thought about it. But I'll continue to say this. 
if their role players play their role, Miami's going to be tough. You look at a Duncan Robinson and what he was able to do, even though he was struggling the entire game, and then that fourth quarter he went berserk. Mm -hmm. And that was a crucial part. Although Denver was still in the game the entire way. Denver was leading the game until the fourth quarter. They were leading going into the fourth quarter. They were leading by eight points with 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter. Which is why (laughs) I still believe that they they still have the formula for it. They're just going to need to pick it up defensively. You talked about uh, Coach Malone and his quote about how they, they, they were lackluster and effortless on the defensive end in that fourth quarter. Michael Porter was one of the guys that he, he kind of called out as a, uh, KCP. They need to play better on defense. I mean, mm-hmm. that is what it's all about. If they can go out there and do that, then everything will be okay. But I'm not going to take anything away from Spolstra going to the game, letting – um, Joker get his and just stopping everybody else. That's a good game plan. But those role players need to pick it up for for uh, the Denver Nuggets. If they do that, I think it's going to be that gentleman sweep that we were talking about. Patrick? Uh, 48% uh, shooting from the three-point range, too. Yep. Big for Miami. That's, That's huge for them. I mean, I will say we've seen one thing in this series already, though, uh, when we were giving advantages of which team had what, that Miami has more depth. And They've been able to go a couple different routes. We see Kevin Love not getting a lot of run early, didn't play a lot in game one, mm-hmm. starts game two, comes in and gives them some good minutes. So there's just a lot more options that they're going to add Tyler Hero back to this probably in game three. Mm-hmm. So they just have a couple more options. So if somebody's not hitting, someone's not playing at that level, they can kind of switch it out a little bit more and go, all right, if Caleb Martin's not hitting shots right now, we can kind of put him back and put in Max Struess or Gabe Vincent and see if those guys hit. And for Denver, they need their guys to play. So when you see KCP and Michael Porter Jr. not play well, you don't really have an option of, oh, we'll just play Christian Brown more or Bruce Brown uh, Brown much more. You pretty much have to go, you guys have to perform. You guys Mm -hmm. have to step it up. So I think that's going to be the main conversation is, hey, man, there isn't someone behind you ready to jump in. Uh, You know, you have to stay for Contavious Caldwell-Pulp. He has to stay out of foul trouble. He fouls out of that game. You can't get you can't buy into the pump fakes. He was really the main guy mm-hmm. who's buying into a lot of these pump fakes. You got to be just a little bit more disciplined. I know. I think he's the one who picked up a foul, uh, falling over. Yeah, and then basically <laughs> he's like, "What do you want me to do?" He's like, "He just jumped on top of me. I can't. I can't stop that." <laughs> right. Uh, but you have to just be like, yeah, "Well, you can't fall over running out at him." Then that's mm-hmm. that's where you picked up the foul from. I, I think that that's where Denver is going to have if Miami's going to find. A weakness in this, you have to really try to get in to some other guys. And I, I said earlier it's Aaron Gordon, but he's been playing really great in this series. You have to try and pick apart some of these guys that are supposed to be playing big minutes and go, look, we know we know Joker is going to kill us. We know that. Yep. But we can't let him kill us by letting other people kill us and getting those assists. So we have to let, let him. He's going to get his points. Do mm-hmm. not double down on him. Stay on your guys and try and limit what their role players can do because they don't have the ability like we do to go to so many different options. And don't forget, too, they got the chance to shoot free throws this game. Yeah. They, they got did. to well, the they free throw them. line. They went, they went and attacked the rim, and they shot a ton of free throws, 20 free throws, and they were 90% from the free throw line. So that's another plus that changed the way that they played the last game. Yeah, and also, yeah, in addition to – that's a great point because I believe that was the fewest – uh, free throw attempts in any playoff game in NBA history. history. Yeah. <laughs> so you flip that into 20 free throws the next game. Uh, they shot terribly 
uh, and from three-point range in game one, one of their worst three-point shooting performances of the playoffs. And this past game in game two, they were 17 of 35, 48.6% from three-point range. That would be, I mean, guys, they've shot over 48 point, they've shot over 48.5% from three-point range in six Mm. games so far this postseason. Twice against the Bucks, they shot one game. They shot sixty percent from three point range versus the Bucks. Sixty. They shot fifty four percent and fifty one point six percent and fifty percent in three games from three point range versus the Celtics. Yo. And versus the Nuggets, they've had their first game shooting forty eight point six percent. Like I, I thought it was unsustainable, but. I mean, they keep proving me wrong. I yep. mean, they they figure it out, man. They they right now they're shooting damn near forty percent as a team from three point range. They have the largest uh, leap, uh, the largest difference in regular season three point percentage and postseason three point percentage in NBA history. <laughs> We've never seen anything <laughs> so like this, crazy. Guys. We haven't seen anything so like it before. Uh, but one thing to get into as well is the fourth quarter scoring for them. We just talked about it. They were Denver is crazy. I, I understand why you guys are still saying Denver should have a gentleman sweep here. Because they entered the fourth quarter leading by eight points. 83 to 75. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jimmy Butler's on a bench at this point. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, Jimmy Butler's on a bench and they're coming the fourth quarter down eight points? Man, this is this might get ugly mm-hmm. in a hurry because we know how Denver can score. But with Jimmy Butler still on the bench, Miami managed to take the lead. They took the lead with Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Butler came back into the game with eight, a little over eight minutes remaining in the fourth quarter, and they had already taken the lead because Duncan Robinson had this just unbelievable stretch where he scored like ten points in a five-minute span, which just was on fire. But honestly, that is the Miami Heat. That is their mo. I, I you go look at the point differential in, uh, quarter by quarter for the Miami Heat. Unbelievable, guys. It's just unfathomable. They are minus. This is in the playoffs. In twenty playoff games, minus one in the first quarter, minus eleven in the second. In the second quarter, um, they are minus twelve in the third quarter. Uh, but they are plus ninety in the mm. fourth quarter. What? <laughs> they're getting outscored in every plus quarter. Ninety. Every quarter in the playoffs, except yeah. the fourth. In the fourth, they're outscoring their opponents by ninety points. Yeah, that's that's the crazy. Crazy. They're uh, plus twenty one. They're plus twenty one in this in, in the finals in two games in the fourth in fourth quarter point differential. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's one of those things that is you can't figure it out, right? They're just that anomaly, right? The the Miami Heat are a strange team. You talked about it in the last series, the undrafted players, right? Who they are, how they come about it, and the hard work, the chip on the shoulder that they have. And then you come up with this stat, too, about how they outscore players, I mean, teams in the fourth quarter. It's amazing. They just figure things out. They do. But they always wait. They're dramatic. Well, but that's and that's another deal, though, of, of having the depth of being able to give your guys some rest. That When you get to that fourth quarter and everyone's huffing and puffing, you still have a few guys that got legs because they're not playing massive minutes, mm-hmm. but they are an important part of the team. And a like, guy like Duncan Robinson, who has that run, he can play – he can have energy in the fourth quarter because he's only playing 20 minutes a game. Yeah. So he's not a guy like Jimmy Butler who's playing 35-40 who you have to worry about. Yeah, his legs in the fourth quarter are questionable, especially in Denver. When your defender starts to step off, step off you and he's a step mm-hmm. slower because he's playing 35-40 minutes mm-hmm. and you go, oh, yeah. 
all right, refs are calling the game the way we can attack now because they're calling things when we go inside, so I have no reason not to attack because the only reason you don't want to attack is if you feel the refs are letting them bump you around inside and you go, ah, it's, you know, my percentage is going way down. And this, they were calling it when he went to the rim, so he knew to just start going to the rim. They were trying to get out of – they were trying not to get too much in foul trouble in Denver, and Miami just found that a little bit of weakness and that little bit of time and just dove all over them. It's, yep. I, I, I really – I really can't believe what the Miami Heat are doing. Like it, it is truly, literally unbelievable. I'll give you some more stats. It's about, it's kind of more about the playoff run and some of what they did in Game Two as well. But you go look at it. So here's a couple of crazy stats for you: in their nine postseason wins against Milwaukee, Boston, and Denver, um, the Heat are shooting forty-seven percent from three-point range combined. Forty-nine mm. percent on heavily contested threes in those games. How are you shooting a higher percentage on contested threes than you are actually on just overall threes? Yeah. They've overcome a, a deficit of 12 points or more, like they did in game two. They were down 15 at one point. They've overcame a, a deficit of 12 points or more to win this season seven times in the playoffs. By the way, that is the most in the last 25 years for any team in the playoffs. They did it nine total times in the regular season. Mm-hmm. They've done it seven times in the postseason. That's how they do it, man. I, I mean, as I said, it does it, it. It's crazy. Like none of the stats, none of it is making any sense. They are they're defying not a lot of odds, but they are the biggest underdog, arguably in finals history for a reason. They, they are, and I mean, we can look at it still too. As Denver had a three point shot, that wasn't a terrible shot from Jamal Murray. Oh, it was a good to look. tie the game. Three points overtime. And I know a lot of people got mad at Michael Malone for not calling the timeout there. I get why you don't. Uh, if you do, your 95% chance they're going to foul you on the inbound and you're, basically, getting, the and you're getting the two shots. In a, yeah. and so you know that, hey, man, if, if we call a timeout, they're probably fouling. You think maybe they're going to foul anyway. And you have a guy like Jamal Murray and Jokic on the team where you say, I trust this guy to shoot because he's, he's the reason we're in the finals is Jamal Murray has been playing like that. So I trust him to get his own shot and not let a really good defensive team set up their defense yeah. and basically take away Jokic, take away Jamal Murray from you, and then who do you go to in that moment? So I, I get why they didn't. Uh, it maybe would have been nicer if they could have called a timeout and, and run a set play, but I didn't think the three that they took was that bad. Jamal Murray's hit tons of them in this playoffs. He does. He's got a Steph Curry feel to him sometimes. So, yeah. so I, I, but that's how close this game was. Was it was a shot that was off the rim for three to send it to overtime, and then who knows what happens in overtime? Uh, it seems like Miami's doing everything they can, throwing haymakers and everything to win these games. Yeah, they and are. And Denver's not playing great, and they're a shot away. And they're whew, we escaped, and that's why I say Denver's still in this because you know it could be Denver just falls apart down the stretch. And Miami plays lights out basketball for three more games in this series and wins the series, but you when you watch it, you have to go. Well, the the better team is playing poorly and still barely still they still have to overcome so much. Miami does to be able to beat the better team. To so. your point, the um, comments from Mike Malone in the post game. We'll hear from Coach Spolster here in a second too, because he was asked about his strategy against Jokic and uh, Ramona Shelburne. I believe asked a question, and eh, he seemed. 
offended yep. uh, by the presentation of the question. We'll get to that audio here in a second. But this is the quote Harich mentioned earlier in the show about Michael Long being critical of his team. He said, uh, quote, let's talk about effort. This is the NBA Finals. We are, take, we are talking about effort. That's a huge concern of mine. You guys probably thought I was just making up some storyline after game one when I said we didn't play well. We didn't play well tonight. The starting lineup to start the game, it was 10-2 Miami's to start of the third quarter. They scored 11 points in two minutes and 10 seconds. We had guys out there that were just whether feeling sorry for themselves for not making shots or thinking they can just turn it on and off. This is not the preseason. This is not the regular season. This is the NBA Finals. That to me is really, really perplexing, disappointing. I asked the team. I asked them. You guys tell me why they lost and they knew the answer. Miami came in and outworked us and we were by far our least disciplined game of the 16 or 17 playoff games. Whatever it is now, so many breakdowns. They exploited every one of our breakdowns and scored. So he, uh, yeah, he was very critical of his group. It's a, to Patrick's point, he doesn't think they played well. He's been essentially dogging his team in the post game after each of his games, and they won the first one. So there's a lot of room for improvement for uh, the Nuggets. But I will say, Miami makes you ugly. Yes, they make you play they, ugly. They make you play sloppy they make, basketball. Yes. They and make, yeah. it's, breaks you breaks your character. It does. Yeah, they make you. They 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 really do. They kind of disrupt the overall kind of circuitry. That's part yep. of the, the the Jokic game plan. Like whether you know it's the whether that's the strategy that Exposures wants to admit, or whether he utilized the strategy or not. There is a working theory out there that. You don't want Jokic to be a scorer and a distributor. Take away one of those things, depending mm-hmm. on what your team does well defensively. Either make them a scorer and that's it, or make them a distributor and that's it. Don't let them do both. You got a you know big time uh, you know defensive big man. Maybe you can go another strategy in this particular game. In game two, a lot of people believed. And we'll hear from Eric Spolter in a second because he wanted to uh, combat uh, this theory or this notion. A lot of people believe that the Miami Heat's game plan strategy was to just let Jokic or force Jokic to become predominantly a scorer. And that way he is not also a scorer and a distributor. The evidence behind that is in game two. He only had four assists, as Patrick mentioned earlier. By the way, that's the lowest uh, assist total of the playoffs for him. Now, those four assists, um, they led to nine points for the team. In game one, 14 assists he had uh, created 31 points. So that combined with his 27 points in game one, that's 58 total points created. In game two, he had 41 points on his own. Now, he was beast mode, but only four assists. That led to nine points. So overall, he created just 50 points compared to 58. I know it sounds like, what, 50 compared to 58? Yeah. But I mean, well, that was one eleven to one hundred eight. I was going to say <laughs> it was like eight point difference. That's talking, right. If you can get Jokic total points created down eight points, because he's averaging ten assists per, he's averaging over ten assists per game. That's the biggest yeah. part about it. That's why he had triple doubles. Exactly, and they're not right. th- and they're not three point assists right. all the time too. Right. That's, a, that's I, I mean, really, that's the game plan that if you're looking for. How to combat Jokic because you can't defend him and you can't neutralize him. He's just that damn good. No, you can't. You're just hoping to make him less productive. Can I get you to 50 total <laughs> points for to the 58? Yeah. Go. Done. And that's what they did. Yep. It worked. Can I get your turnovers up? Exactly. He had five turnovers. Two. Yeah, they, that's big. Good point. And it's, that's it. It's playing passing lanes. It's playing places to where normally you help off of him and you're helping off of another player to go onto him to double him. And instead, you're basically watching him and standing in between him and your player to not allow there to be any pass mm. in between. So if he tries to make the pass, which he can do, 
you're going to get some steals off of those too because he's trying to go in. And when he feels, you know, you're going to be able to get some weak side help too when he's looking for the pass, it's not there, and maybe you can sneak along the baseline and poke the ball out as well. Yeah, it's just making trying to, trying to make his life as difficult as possible. He's going to yeah. get it. He's going to get his. He's just too good to stop. Um, can we have this every expert expo sound from Eric Spolstra? Um, I believe the audio the audio has the question in it, so we'll just play the audio. Here's Eric Spolster in the postgame. Hey, Coach. Ramona Shelburne, ESPN. Uh, this is probably oversimplifying things, but sometimes when, when teams play against Jokic, you, you turn him into a scorer, you turn him into a passer, and he controls the game. You, he only had four assists tonight. Yeah, that, that, that's ridiculous. You know, it's just that's the untrained eye that, that says something like that. This guy's an incredible player. You know, twice in two seasons he's been the best player on this planet. You can't just say... <laughs> Oh, make him a score. <laughs> That's not how they play. They they have so many different actions that just get you compromised. Uh, we have to focus on what we do. Um, you know, we try to do things the hard way, um, and he requires you to do many things the hard way. Um, and we, he has our full respect. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Coach. Uh, Thank you, Coach. And uh, I don't know why he was so offended. I thought she she tried to she, you yeah. know put it into perspective. She does say, "I think I'm oversimplifying this." Right. So she does preface it with that. But either way, I my man Matt Butler, he talks a lot of basketball and he uh, he does a lot of fantasy. He watches a ton of games. Like my man Bachelor, he's watching Spring League and all. He got NBA mm-hmm. pass, like you guys. So he watches a lot of basketball. And he said he describes Jokic as just a supercomputer. Uh, he's basically a basketball supercomputer and just kind of using his description. If he is that, you just want to present him with basically as much degree of difficulty as possible because mm-hmm. he's going to, you know, he's going to achieve and produce. And you and as, as my man Patrick mentioned, you want to make that pass, make him have to, you know, put the pass at pinpoint accuracy. Right. If, he's, if, if it's an entry pass. All right. Make him a little bit a little bit hard. He's got to work for the entry pass. Those yeah. kind of things. And he is going to make the right decision. Ninety, eighty five to 90 percent of the time because he's a basketball supercomputer. And if you just you want to increase the varying degrees of difficulty and he'll choose the path of least resistance. And I think with Spolstra choking the kind of life force out of the passing lanes and the supporting cast, the path of least resistance for him was, I'm just going to go score. It's easier. Yep. I'm go score. Now, does that lead to the Denver Nuggets being a less overall, uh, uh, overall lethal and overall productive offense? Um, there's a belief that they lose their co- collaborative identity and their rhythm. And the it kind of chokes the circuitry of their offense when you just let him become predominantly a scorer. Right. And the Nuggets are fourteen and two in the regular season when Jokic attempts ten or fewer shots. They were seven and thirteen when he had eight or fewer assists. Now, does that mean? Oh man, those are hard uh, and fast numbers. Not necessarily. It's just giving you a gauge that when you make him predominantly a scorer and less of a distributor. The 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 team is not as dangerous. He is still dangerous, but the team is not as dangerous. They're zero and four all time when he scores forty plus points in the playoffs. Yeah, May, I'm not saying that it works every time, but maybe. It's, but it works all the time. Yeah, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not a silly <laughs> hypothesis to throw out there that right. hey, you know what? Let let Jokic score, or at least let's devote our resources, allocate resources to stop the supporting cast, which we know we can stop. Yeah. yeah. We know we can do a better job. That we can't. No matter what we throw at Jokic, there's no guarantee we're going to stop that. Yeah, we dude. can slow him down. Yeah, we can it. slow him down. Is all we can do. And then sometimes out of that, 
he creates other buckets for other people. Yep. But I, I mean, real in all reality, it's just going to be there's going to be a lot more. You'll probably see more screens off ball and things of that nature in Game Three, where you see Denver try to basically for a defender to play passing lanes like that. A lot of times, you're looking at Joker, even though your guy, so you have a hand on your guy, and yep. you're kind of watching the play on the inside. And if you start doing more movement, you take away the player's ability to watch what your Joker's doing at the same time because he's trying to run through screens. He's trying to keep an eye on when you're cutting back mm-hmm. and forth. And so you just have more movement. Now you still need to hit the same spots so that, you know, Joker can make a move and know where his no, guys yeah. are going to be. But those types of things, you have all those plays in the playbook. You're ready to go. You just have to create more movement off of the ball to try and take away Miami's ability to – sit back and watch, yep. where normally they're helping off. The defender sits in the corner. Now they're playing He's always lanes. open. Yeah. Now they're playing passing lanes. Yeah. So you got to take that guy in the corner and have him run across baseline, stuff like that, try and confuse defenders. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, too. Uh, and that the pace of it uh, just overall yes. is going to be something to keep watching, too. Uh, keep this in mind, 86 and a half possessions per, per, per team was the slow, and that was in game two. That was the slowest uh, paced game of the postseason for the Nuggets, second slowest paced game of the playoffs, period. Um, and I think that's kind of what Miami wants. They want to yep. slow this thing down to a crawl. Also, keep in mind. Like you said, they like to make it dirty. They want to get dirty. Yeah, yep. they want to muck it up a yep. little bit, yep. right? Yep. Uh, also, keep in mind, um, the the Denver Nuggets are not great on the road, guys. They're just 23 and 25 on the road. Yeah. They're not great on the road. They're not. Man, they got to go to Miami. They right. will make something happen. Well, though. Miami is six and two at home in the postseason. Shout out to uh, my man uh, Matt Butler sitting me that. Yeah, so they- right. yeah. I also I also tell you, I think that Jamal Murray is going to instigate a lot more of this offense to take it to where you're not letting them start with the focal point of Jokic and you plan to plan yep. your defense around that. You started with Jamal Murray. If he cuts now, does Bam help off of that? Who helps off of that? It changes up your defense. So I, I think we'll see Jamal Murray handle the ball a little bit more. Instead of starting it in and playing out, playing it out, playing it in. So, totally agree. Uh, definitely going to be the chess match between uh, Mike Malone and Eric Spolstra. All right, uh, good stuff there, guys. We'll come back. We'll get into Rod, uh, my heart, Rod's Ram today. Harsh Knock Life. <laughs> into Rod's Ram today. We already did Harsh Knock Life. It was a damn good one, so go check it out once we podcast it. Rod's Ram today. We'll go behind the burnt orange curtain. Uh, we'll talk some Texas football. We'll talk about the special assistants to the head coach who were hired. And I'll tell you about one concept that I am sure is going to be on the rise for Texas' upcoming football season. All that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie on 149. I'm mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God! Okay, it's happening. Everybody, stay calm. Oh, no, you've done it now. It's time for Rod's rant of the day. Hold on to your butts. All right, welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. Uh, I want to get to some Texas football discussion here. I uh, went rabbit holing uh, about a concept over the weekend. I told you guys once uh, the Paul Christ uh, news was announced that he is going to join the coaching staff as a special assistant to the head coach, um, that there's one concept that I, just reading the tea leaves, 
and just looking at all the clues, all the signs are pointing to Texas using more of this specific concept. And you guys know, usually I don't lead you astray, uh, whether I've been what, about two back sets last year, um, whether that be about, you know, uh, sex, Texas using more uh, empty sets back in the day, all that kind of stuff. Right. Usually there are clues leading me to make those types of uh, proclamations. Well, the 2022 uh, offensive line class for Texas was one of the best classes in the history of college football for an offensive line hall, right? You had seven guys in that class, uh, five in the 2023 class. That's 12 in the last two years. You just got a surplus of really good offensive linemen. Hell, that 2022 class was top five. It was the top class of offensive linemen in the last five years. Uh, Georgia and Bama have the other two classes uh, each in that top five. So really highly rated and and, and heralded uh, recruiting class of offensive linemen. Kyle Flood, I've heard him at coaching clinics brag about how, and he's an offensive line coach and offensive lineman, so this is just how offensive linemen are, but he brags about how he wants to play uh, six offensive linemen 35 to 40% of the time. Calls them his Big 11, Big 12 package. Uh, Big 11 meaning you would just have uh, six offensive linemen. You put your three wide receivers on the field. Uh, then you'd have your running back, and then you'd have your quarterback. Um, that's what he says his Big 11. Big 12, you would just add a tight end in addition to the extra offensive linemen. Tight end, two wide receivers, running back, and then your quarterback. So he got a Big 11, Big 12. And, yesterday, and last year they played some Big 11, but mostly Big 12 because Big 12 – um, you keep JT Sanders on the field. You don't want to take him off the field. And I heard them say this in the coaching clinic this past offseason, and I thought to myself, that's interesting because when I did the research, I have Texas using six O-linemen, a little over 15% of the time, so it's not a tremendous amount, but enough to shake things up um, and, you know, play bully ball. When Sark wants to play bully ball, you know he's big on that. But then adding Paul Christ and my just basic knowledge of Paul Chris throughout the years, he's been a huge advocate of bringing in extra offensive linemen. Uh, in the 2021 regular season, Wisconsin used six O-linemen uh, on, I think it was 22 snaps versus Nebraska and Minnesota. That was like almost half of their total for the season. So at the end of Paul Chris's tenure there at uh, Wisconsin as the head coach, he started upping his usage of six offensive linemen or extra old linemen. He did the same thing in 2012 uh, where he had his, call, they called it a barge package. They had s- uh, seven old linemen on the field. In 2019, they had a hippo package where they used six, uh, seven old linemen versus Michigan. Um, in 2000, 2011, 2000, so, sorry, 2008 to 2011, uh, Paul Chris was the OC at Wisconsin, and Bob Bostad, I believe, was the O-line coach, and they deployed O-linemen as jumbo tight ends back then. So either way you want to look at it, Paul Chris is big on it. And I and remember when I w- told you guys about, you know, Brendan Marion coming on and how he was going to bring his go-go offense with his two tailback sets. And last year, uh, what did Texas do? They used a ton of Two tailback sets, right? 21 personnel. Why? Because, well, you have Bijan Robinson and Rojo. You probably have the best backfield in the country. You want to weaponize that. You want to be able to maximize that advantage. And Sark has said every year he changes his offense. He tweaks it just based on the personnel that he has, right? If he's got a star running back or he's got a star wide receiver or a star tight end. And I've told you guys, I think this year he's got himself a star wide receiver and a star tight end, and I think he's going to build the offense around those concepts. But one concept I can assure you you're going to see more of 
and more than 15% will probably be the 6-0 line package. Now, I went back and did some research to find out where to start getting inspired by this. You know, I'm always a football theorist. I want to find the genesis of something, right, the root of it. The, the first mentions of, uh, of really the 6-0 line package becoming popularized in the NFL happens around 09, like 2009, and mostly teams are using it for short yardage situations and for goal line situations. But some teams around that time started using the 6-0 line package in more standard situations and early down usage. That was rare. That was new. It was seen as a goal line short yardage package. Cincinnati. Uh, they were leading the NFL around 09 in 6-0 line packages, along with Baltimore and the Jets, with Brian Schottenheimer calling the plays. Shout out Bill Callahan as the O-line coach. Um, and New England with Dante Scarnecchia uh, as their O-line coach, famous O-line coach there. And they were using a, six, a lot of 6-0 line packages back then in, in 2009. And then you fast forward, you know, kind of past that period, there's some teams – Using it 2010, 2014, I found a lot of examples of it. Teams like the Raiders, the New Orleans Saints, because Sean Payton is a big, uh, he's a big personnel package guy. So he runs probably more personnel packages than any team in the NFL. But 2018, the Seattle Seahawks decided they wanted to make it a mainstay in their personnel usage. They went from bottom 10 in rushing in the NFL in 2017 to uh, a top uh, to the top rushing team in the NFL, actually, like number one. And they always had a problem protecting Russell Wilson. We all knew that. <laughs> and actually that season, they <laughs> averaged 5.2 uh, offensive linemen on the field per play through their first 14 games of the season. They were averaging more than five offensive linemen on the field because they were playing a ton of six O-line sets. Pete Carroll famously, is a mentor for Steve Sarkeesian. I'm not saying Sark got it from there, but I know Sark pays a lot of attention to what Pete Carroll does. And by the way, at that same time, Sark is in the NFL. He's coaching for Atlanta. All right, he's coaching Atlanta, and he's the offensive coordinator in Atlanta. He's following uh, my boy Shanahan there, and when he follows Shanahan, he uses a lot of Shano's concepts to transition his offense all right, from the Shano offense to the Sark offense, including using a lot of two tailback sets, which I brought that up because nobody uses more 21 personnel than Kyle Shanahan. But I digress, getting back to the 6-0 line sets. So even in 2018 and in 2019, Seattle, they're, they're leading the NFL in 6-0 line sets uh, in packages with six offensive linemen. There was actually a game, Monday Night Football game, in 2019 where Seattle used six offensive linemen, 32 out of 43 rushing attempts. And they were second in the NFL in six O-line packages in 2019. Obviously, Sark has moved on then, but when Sark takes something or a concept that he likes, he usually just kind of puts it in his bag, saves it for when he needs it, like all great offensive minds do. And I think maybe, and I've, I'll, I'll ask Sark if I ever get a chance, I think I'll have a chance maybe around Big 12 Media Days, where he got the inspiration for his bully ball package, the Big 12, Big 11 package. And I wonder if it's just serendipitous that he and Pete Carroll in the NFL around the same time started using, uh, that, Sark, that Pete Carroll started using the 6-0 line package. And now, um, a former mentor of Sark's, uh, Pete Carroll. Um, and I wonder if Sark was inspired uh, by some of that stuff from Pete Carroll. And also, I w- in doing some deep dive about the 6-0 line package, because Sark wants to throw out of it. But they, I think 70% of the time, Texas runs the ball out of 6-0 line package. But Sark wants to throw out of it. He wants to surprise teams. Right? Remember my 
my my my saying for last year when you present power personnel packages and then you can pivot to play action pass principles. Uh, Sark did that a lot last year. I went and looked at every pass that Texas threw with six O linemen on the field. How about these numbers? So seventy six percent of the time, uh, it was a play action pass when they decided to throw the ball with a six O line package. So heavy play action pass usage around and around seventy five percent of the time too, uh, when they passed the ball with the six O line package, it was on first down. Trying to fool the defense, right? Six O line and on the field, you're thinking run all the time. You probably extra linebackers on the field, and circles deceive you with a play action pass. And he also took a lot of shots deep. Extra lineman in the block, got more time for routes to develop down the field. So when you did take a deep shot, 20 yards or more down the field, out of your six O line package, uh, 92% of the time that was a play action pass. So you combine all that heavy. 92%. Yeah, when you when they threw a deep pass with six O linemen on the field, it was a play action pass ninety two percent of the time. But your play action pass rate is seventy five percent anyway. Yeah. So he's heavy play action pass out of it. That's why he likes it so much because automatically it triggers defenders to think run, 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 and he's caught he caught him a lot slipping. So you got a high explosive play rate out of that just because you caught a lot of defenders slipping on early downs. He wants to use a lot more of it. You're going to be able to run the ball out of it. Last year they averaged a little almost five and a half yards per rush out of it. But you had Bijan and Rojo. I think this year he wants to use the extra O lineman to juice the running game a little bit more. So whoever that extra lineman is going to be, um, I'm not. Last year was Andre Carrick a ton. You're going to see it, you know, in multiple different ways this year. But you're just too deep at O line, and all the signs, like I said, are pointing to you playing more of it. Does this mean you're going to play less of eleven personnel? I wouldn't worry about that. Sark loves eleven personnel. Plays eleven personnel, one back, one tight end, fifty percent of the time. In 2021, 40 plus percent of the time in 2022. The only reason it dropped in 2022 is because you want to play more two tailback sets, 20 and 21 personnel with Bijan and Rojo and Keelan Robinson on the field. You lost Bijan, you lost Rojo, you'll probably lose a lot of that 2021 personnel package too. And I think you'll end up using those reps in your 6 0 line package a lot of the times. So you'll get more heavy sets this year than you think. 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends. And you'll get your six O line packages. You'll have more heavy looks than you like. Remember, Sark's a guy that wants to run the rock. He that's that's he wants to run he the rock. He said it too. He's he, like Mike McCarthy. Yeah, he likes playing bully ball. Yep. He he really does. How do you think you won the Iowa State game last year and the Baylor game last year and the K State game last year? You don't win that unless you decide playing bully ball at the end of the game. All right, we'll come back. We'll get into a little off the record on the other side, right here on Ball Don't Line One Four Nine One. obvious to you that at that time our love is true even though we love each other in a special way i couldn't give you welcome back to ball don't lie right here on 104.9 the horn it is a smooth soul monday edition of ball don't lie and that's when we play jams uh, that are intended to soothe the tortured soul of sports fans who may have had a tough weekend out there um all right gentlemen let's get to uh, quick off the record how about this um and I didn't. This is a little shocking to me, honestly. Forbes have an article, um, and their article is based on the most valuable franchise, most profitable sports teams. Period. Over the past three years, so it's it's a cumulative study over the past three years. And guys, and this is uh, 
Major League Baseball, NBA, NFL, NHL, and soccer teams, too. All right, so four of them all in there. Most profitable teams in sports last three years, Dallas Cowboys, number one. Not shocking. Shocked. Uh, <laughs> New England Patriots, number two. Not as shocking either. Um, the Tottenham Hotspur uh, EPL team, number three. Really talented team. The Knicks are number four. The Knicks. The Knicks are having a bit of a comeback here, though, because the Knicks had a, a decent year. But this is like the first good year for the Knicks in a while, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, people say the same thing about the Cowboys. But I was the Cowboys, say, hold on, man. been winning 12 games, They're 12 man. and 5 every year, Pretty man. Good. That's what we do. We win 12 and don't do anything after that. Man, <laughs> man U is fifth EPL team. That's a Glazer family. They lost this weekend. Oh, oh there you yeah. go. You had, some, you had something on that, didn't you? I just had a mm-hmm. wandering eye. Guys, how are the Houston Texans at six? Hey, man. Ahead of the Golden State Warriors and the Lakers. That's pretty wild. The it's Giants you. are at nine. Yep. Manchester City is at ten. That's who beat them. That's who beat Manu. Oh, that's who beat Manu. Yeah. Are y'all surprised the Texans? The Texans are what I want to talk about. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm really shocked by <laughs> that. <laughs> to be quiet. You know how you the said not th- surprised by the Cowboys? I'm definitely shocked <laughs> right? by the Texans Bro, being there. The last three years they've been a fuster club. Nobody's been going to the game, so <laughs> how you making money? How you making money? Well, also I'm sim- it's, it's crazy. Like you don't have a new building. No, because like you know if you have a new building, yeah, your valuation goes up because oh well, you got the I don't know. I'm I'm with you uh, guys. I'm a Texans fan, and I am stupefied, dumbfounded. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm shocked. Uh, yeah, I'm flabbergasted. And I don't use that word a lot as a black man, but <laughs> it is. Because I, I can't believe that. And then, like I said, the Rams are at 11. Makes sense. Rams in California. Mm-hmm. Got a new stadium. Just won a Super Bowl. Oh, their valuation is probably skyrocketing. Yeah, it's it's real interesting to see that they are at that number, especially yeah. over the last few years of what we've seen product-wise. We saw fans not going. Nobody's buying uniforms and stuff. I mean, uh, jersey sales. Man. Like, what is really happening? Is it just that football in the state is just that powerful? Seems like, it's just, to be. Seems like, yeah. If you're a football in this state, whether it's Cowboys, whether it's the Longhorns, whether it's the Texans, Football is religion there. It is. Like people, it like is. Like, look, guys, I'm an education major, and I was going to be a teacher and a coach, and I, I, the, my research told me they, they're closing down schools and building stadiums. So might want to pivot. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> I mean, Good job, bro. Well, I'm just saying. Way like, to read the rule. They really are. Yeah. They won't, won't pay teachers and stuff like that. So I was like, well, just education. I mean, they, go look how much the coaches are being paid in this state. For sure. High school. As compared to the teachers. High school coaches, too, by the way. <laughs> and that's what I love yeah, them. Yeah. They're all great. They're all doing God's work, but. High school teachers. Man, I we, mean, high school coaches yeah. are making quite a bit of money. And, and it, ain't, it ain't all the other sports. It's football coaches. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Right? Yeah. That's amazing. Somebody said Cal is cooking the books. <laughs> Easter B did yeah. before he left. Yeah, yeah. that's it's one of those guys. It's the guy that gave the NDAs out. Yeah, so. <laughs> the former like Secret Service. Yeah, dude that guy. That guy's helping him out. Yeah, uh, just around the list. Liverpool's at twelve behind the Rams. The Washington Commanders at thirteen. Chicago Bulls at fourteen. The Bears at fifteen. Dallas Mavs at sixteen. The Jaguars at seventeen. Mm. That's got to be their international growth, though. Yeah, but it we're saying the why Commanders. They keep going across. Like, the Commanders. Is only because they just got bought for that, right? Probably that's probably a lot of it. Like because yeah. you can't say they have a terrible stadium. They have, they have a terrible team. 
Yeah, you're right. They don't yeah. really have anything going for them other than the fact that they don't have Dan Snyder anymore. And so I guess it's and his name I, is still I think, on the I list. Think this list I think then. this list might be a said, little bit off. Well, he said it's for three it's years. For the last three years, though. I know, yeah. but well, you're right because the Commanders were so good three years ago. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't. Re- can you explain the Texans? No, the that's e- what I'm saying. I'm like, how are all of the other NFL teams not ahead of these the guys? Eagles? Are 24th on the list. Behind the Rockets at twenty three, the Steelers at twenty two, the Jets, Jets about to, that's about to skyrocket a little bit yep, too. Yep. Uh, on twenty one, the Dolphins at twenty, the Broncos at nineteen, eighteen Celtics, and then I said then we got the Jaguars. I just can't believe the Texans are in the top. Te- Texans will be in twenty fourth or twenty fifth. I'd be like, that's fine. Makes yeah. sense. They're at six. If Texans mm. were twenty fourth <laughs> in the NFL, I'd be fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> True. True. This year, actually, we'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that. Uh, all right. Let's get to some uh, NFL news, notes, and nuggets. Speaking of the NFL, gentlemen, we'll talk about Cowboys OTA uh, news, notes, and nuggets. Uh, Dak, where he's among the best deep ball passers in the league, and a lot of good news coming out about this receiver from Texans practice. All that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie. Wonderful. Another horn.